0: Welcome to Standing Firm, a Come Follow Me podcast. Here are your hosts, Jordan and Louis Onga. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Standing Firm, where we talk Come Follow Me scriptures with you each and every week. I'm Louie alongside Jordan, as always, and we're uh, delighted to be here finishing up First Nephi, if you can believe that. That is crazy to think about. Wow. I know. That I was know. so fast. So, before we get started today, we were talking about this. We just wanted to take a minute to just say thank you. When we set out to do the show, I think there was a small part of both of us that that thought it it might be over by now. <laughs> 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 there was certainly a part of me that thought that after a month, you know, we'd see that seven people had listened and and no one cared, and we would be wrapping up the production. But it's certainly been the opposite of that, and for that, we're just so thankful. This podcast in the And the short time that it's been available has been listened to in seven countries, which is just incredible. People have been so kind to hang in there with us, but I I want everyone to know that we have some really good things coming soon. Guest hosts that are going to give you a break from hearing the two of us talk and provide
1: fresh perspectives and just many more exciting things uh, coming. So be on the lookout for that. You know, I think anyone that really knows me knows that it kind of takes a lot for me to get emotional. I don't get emotional about many things other than you know, gospel related topics or or maybe my family, but the overwhelming love and support that we have received from everyone has truly left me in awe. Yeah, no Madame um, You know, you mentioned it our first episode, Louis, both of us are just simple people. Sometimes you know we find it hard to fit in our schedules to do the show, but our love for Jesus of Nazareth keeps us going. And we truly just wanted to share our love with all of you who have supported us and given us nothing but love and such a neat experience to engage in this marathon towards Christ together. So thank you so much, everyone. Yeah, it's
0: awesome. And that's well said for sure. So we'll go ahead and get into the material for this week. Uh, A lot of chapters to cover this week, especially in a 20 minute show, but we shall do our best. (laughs) Starting off in chapter 16, uh, you know, this this week's reading starts out with one of my favorite quotes, and also one one of the quotes I dislike most in all the scripture. And it all depends on which side of the quote I find myself. <laughs> the guilty taketh the truth to be hard, for it cutteth them to the very center. Mm. Yeah, the reason that is so two sided is that we've all been on both sides of that. You know, speaking for myself, I've used this verse of scripture when someone is acting the way that Laman and Lemuel act in verse one. You know, and it is awesome. Gets a uh, total mic drop moment, but this is one of those verses, like use it sparingly because this is one of those quotes from scripture that can provoke some serious anger and invite some major contention. What I love though is how Nephi follows it up in verses three and four with simple invitations to his brothers to humble themselves and to give heed to the word of the Lord, in which case the truth wouldn't be so hard, right? Right. Uh, so, But this is one interaction from scripture that I would have loved to have seen in person or to see in person, because whatever it was that he said to his brothers after the guilty take it, the truth to be hard, led to verse five, which says, and it came to pass that they did humble themselves before the Lord insomuch that I had joy and great hopes of them that they would walk in the paths of righteousness. (laughs) Love (laughs) Nephi's eternal optimism regarding the brothers. There's beautiful
1: things that happen when people are humble. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, so in this same chapter, in verse 10, the family finds the Leahona. Mm. Now, from time to time, the Lord has provided his prophets with physical objects or devices to kind of assist them in accomplishing his will. You know, a few examples come to mind with Moses. He was given the two stone tablets that contain the 10 commandments. Another one that came to mind was Abraham when he was provided a ram to sacrifice instead of his son. Mm, yeah. Another one of you I know, mean you could think about Jonah where God provided a vine to appear over his home providing him shelter. In the modern day we know Joseph Smith was given the Urim and Thummim to translate the ancient record. The Lord truly is the same yesterday, today and forever in providing Lehi with the uh, Leahona. Yeah,
0: Jordan, what I found interesting about this is that a, a lot of times the object that the Lord provided he wanted someone to build it. Rather than just providing the object, he provided instructions on how to build it. I think of Noah's Ark and Nephi's ship and the Ark of the Covenant. These are things that the Lord asked somebody to build. But in this case, the the liahona is such a special object that it was built by the hand of God. So regarding the liahona, a lot of us have probably been taught the symbolism in a Sunday school lesson or a seminary class. Between the Liahona and Scriptures. And that connection is actually made in the Book of Mormon in Alma thirty seven. I think another analogy that's fit for today's world, and I want you to give this a chance here, is the comparison of the Liahona and the modern day smartphone. Ooh. The the little supercomputer that many of us carry around every single day has uh, extraordinary Liahona light capabilities. You know, I know for me I have an absolutely dreadful sense of direction and <laughs> My phone has given me turn-by-turn directions to many different places over the years. I can also use my smartphone, like the Leahona, for spiritual instruction. On this phone is the entirety of the scriptures. Millions of words of written instruction and the word of God from the mouths of modern-day prophets. It's incredible that in 40 seconds I can pull up a video of a conference talk from 1972 and watch it. Just like the Liohono, though, when we struggle to be faithful, these devices also cease to work for good. They can lead to spiritual and mental wandering. Mm. For for me, you know, hours upon hours can be wasted idly reading pointless political quarrels and watching videos of Hulk Hogan versus the Iron Sheik from 1982. <laughs> for many others, though, the spiritual and mental wandering actually takes them to darker places. Addiction, adultery. Because of the abundance of faith-wrecking materials that can be found through electronic devices, I've seen many that I love dearly wander themselves into apostasy with just a smartphone. So these devices can be incredibly useful, or they cannot work
1: for us at all, and the choice is ours to make. That's a fantastic analogy, man. But moving on in the story, we learn that Nephi, he then breaks his bow when they're out hunting for food. Yeah. And That was definitely a heavy burden that was placed on everyone, but things got so bad that even Lehi started to murmur a little bit, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I I actually want to explore this for a minute. So
0: when I read this, it seems that Nephi, due to his fine steel bow and his excellent marksmanship, was the main source of food for for all the family. Based on the resoundingly negative reaction from the other members of the family, including Lehi, to Nephi's bow breaking theirs an in, in important lesson in this story that applies today. I think a real adversity that families face today is the loss of employment and, and how that affects a family. When one or both wage earners or providers in a family suddenly loses their job, there's a, a sense of dread and pressure, especially when there's very little to fall back on. The provider who has lost their employment may suffer from feelings of diminished worth. The reaction of Everyone else in the family, depending on the family dynamic, may include everything from stress to worry and, yes, even complaining. Yeah. I think the lesson here from Nephi is, if and when we find ourselves in this position, is first to stay faithful. Know that the Lord is mindful of your situation and keep the faith that another opportunity is coming your way. Second is to remember your resourcefulness. Don't listen to the whisperings of the adversary, which will tell you that you're a failure and that life will never again be as good as it once was. Keep in mind the skills, the knowledge, the gifts that you've been given from God, and trust yourself to use those things to improve your situation. And third and lastly, don't let the stress tear the family apart. When Nephi trusted in the Lord and himself and used his skill to make a new bow, he didn't gloat. He went back to Lehi and simply asked where he should go to find food. So if you're a young person listening and mom or dad loses their job, try to keep in mind what extreme stress and pressure they might be under. They already feel bad enough and any you know complaints about lifestyle changes makes things that much more difficult. So an example of this is a good friend of mine back in the mid-90s. His dad lost his job, the family banded together, made burritos in their garage, and sold them to family and friends. Eventually, they opened a restaurant. It was extremely successful. The sons took it over when they came of age, and today they have seven stores where they sell one of the best breakfast burritos in the Phoenix Valley. I, I find myself there way too much. Okay. <laughs> but th- this story is just a wonderful example of, of how to react in the face of
1: adversity. Absolutely. We love all that, Louis. I also love that you used the word trust. I think so many times we get caught up in saying that we trust the Lord, that we trust the Lord, but... How many times and how quickly do we forget that the Lord trusts us as well? You kind of touched on this already here, Louis, but you know, a wonderful lesson here from Nephi as we carry on in the story is Nephi teaches a great lesson in honoring your parents. Even though they may not live up to hopes and expectations, you can imagine the effect on Lehi when his son still honored him despite him being negative about the hardships that they were suffering. It must have been extremely humbling and redeeming almost for Lehi to have his son come do that. You know, my kids call me out all the time <laughs> that we haven't had prayer over dinner. Often I'm like three to four bites in, and then they're like, Dad, are we going to say prayer? <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. But there's power in that honorable call from a child to a parent to be better, and there's inspiration and motivation that follows that. That the dinner prayer I
0: don't know anything about that. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) You know, in verse 25, along those lines, Nephi describes his father as being in the depths of sorrow for his murmurings against the Lord. And it brings up an interesting discernment between the types of sorrow that we feel in this life, how the Lord feels about the two types of sorrow and, and how they lead to redemption or just emptiness. Clearly, after being chastened by the Lord, Lehi displays the appropriate godly sorrow. This is The kind of sorrow that is focused almost solely on how our sin offended and hurt the Lord. It's the kind of sorrow, and the difference is easy to see for the Lord who knows our hearts, but this is the kind of sorrow that we have seen the Lord forgive over and over and over again. If I'm displaying worldly sorrow, I'm only concerned with how my sin affects me. I'm concerned only with the embarrassment of my sin, how it might affect my job or what Mm. personal consequences I might face. With worldly sorrow, the Lord is at best an afterthought. This type of sorrow is, is useless to our salvation. It holds the world in higher regard than the
1: Lord, who in reality is the one that can offer true freedom from sorrow. Yeah, and Paul actually writes to the Corinthians and speaks about godly sorrow, saying that it's a repentance process that causes a true change in the heart in becoming righteous. So I caught that too in that chapter. Kind of a theme that I've noticed in the family's journey is how Satan seems to work on them he also works on us making us seem like bandwagon fans meaning when things are going well we are present in front and center loud and proud wearing t-shirts with so much support but the moment things go wrong we withdraw our loyalty our passion and belief and that's something that stood out to me And my hope is that we don't do that to the lord yeah uh,
0: nobody likes a bandwagon fan uh- <laughs> we, had, we had lots of those during the Diamondbacks World Series round here. <laughs> so in verse 36 of chapter 16, Nephi's brothers begin to murmur again against their father and against Nephi. And it says, and they were desirous to return again to Jerusalem. And this brings up sort of an interesting parable. In this analogy, Jerusalem represents our comfort zones. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not talking about every comfort zone. For a lot of us, being on the grounds of the temple is a comfort zone. Right. I'm talking about the comfort zones that we have that we're keenly aware aren't good for us. For some people, that can be video games. It can be pornography. It can be mm. an abusive relationship. And whenever we leave that kind of comfort zone, We can always choose one of two things. We can either return to it after a period of trial and difficulty, or we can choose to leave that comfort zone behind forever. There is always pain in leaving a place where you're comfortable and moving on from it, even when we know it's not good for us. In these verses, we see the difference between relying on the Lord to help us and relying on ourselves. Going it alone leaves us vulnerable to temptation. Having the Lord with you on your journey gives you the perspective that you need to see that on the other side of that pain is a new comfort zone, Mm -hmm. a place where love abounds and and we no longer need to seek comfort from empty, desolate sources. That brings us to chapter 17. Speaking of comfort zones, the family arrives at Bountiful, and it says in verse 6, quote, We had suffered many afflictions and much difficulty, yea, even so much that we cannot write them all. We were exceedingly rejoiced when we came to the seashore, and we called the place Bountiful because of its much fruit. When I think of the family arriving at this place, I can see Nephi arriving at this place that he knew was prepared by the Lord and just looking at his brothers and saying, you still want to go back to Jerusalem? <laughs> now, I would take that opportunity, but I think Nephi was much less petty and narrow-minded than I am. But the, the Lord allows the family to enjoy some peaceful, comfortable days and bountiful before he gives his prophet the next assignment, building a ship.
1: Yes, one of the most famous things that Nephi is known for is what we're about to dive into now and in building the ship. So in verse 7, something stood out to me as the Lord asked Nephi to rise and get thee into the mountain, and he did. To me, a lot of symbolism there, just going up into the mountain to commune with the Lord. That's been done with other prophets in the past, as we have read in the Bible. The thought that I had here is going up into the mountain— it requires effort. Similarly, it requires effort for us to live worthy of inspiration and guidance from God. So God (laughs) made Nephi work to get to the mountain to receive his next marching orders. And ironically, the next order was more work for him to build the ship. Just like you said, just as Noah was given very specific instructions to build the ark in Genesis, Nephi's story is very similar. So this left me thinking, Louis, what ship has the Lord asked me to build recently in my own life? And what was my reaction to it? You you look at the example of Nephi. Nephi almost seems unfazed. like He didn't even flinch. He just went and he built a ship. And I think a lot of that ties into his experience. Nephi is a veteran now with working and hearing the spirit as we recall in his experience with laban when he was commanded to kill this wicked man there was some form of a hesitation there but here his experience is taking over and truly without any flinching at all he's able to move forward and knowing that the lord will provide the way and he surely did
0: yeah absolutely So Nephi, like you said, Jordan following uh, the Lord, preparing to build a ship, and here comes Laman and Lemuel, and what a shocker. They're whining and belly aching like usual. (laughs) So in the last chapter, you saw Nephi kind of take the approach of stunning them with a deep cutting statement, right? The guilty take it, the truth to be hard, Mm -hmm. followed by a soft and kind invitation to repent. But here, Nephi seems to say to himself, all right, enough is enough. And he goes on for 32 verses reminding his brothers, not only of the things that they have personally seen, but of the mercies of the Lord that they have all learned together from scripture. At the end of his discourse, he's so full of the spirit that when they resort once again to physical violence, threatening to throw him into the depths of the sea, Nephi exercises the Lord's power to rebuke his brothers and to shock them. And because of Nephi's commission to be the prophet in the promised land, the Lord didn't let Laman and Lemuel kill Nephi like they wanted to. And we've seen this over and over again throughout first Nephi. And by the last verse in chapter 17, when Laman and Lemuel had felt the true power of the Lord, they were suddenly on board
1: with the plan to build the ship. (laughs) They were suddenly fine with that, right? Yeah. So that brings us to chapter 18, where the ship is now finished. It says in the chapter heading, the births of Jacob and Joseph are mentioned and the family embarks on the ship for the promised land and louie what you just mentioned about the lecture that nephi gave to his brothers i mean it really didn't last that long because they turned their hearts away from the lord yet again yeah. and they decided to tie up nephi and throw him into a separate room that was there on the ship now because of this there is a terrible storm that comes forth and it actually pushes them off course but also, what happened is the Leohona stopped working. The Liahona only works according to their faith. But we read in the record that Nephi was tied up for four days, man. You yeah, know, wow. So this storm is raging for four days, and it takes that long for Laman and Lemuel to finally decide. Okay, you know, maybe we should untie Nephi. Maybe the Lord is a little mad at us for doing that. But here is one of the most beautiful things about the Book of Mormon to me is. The Lord allowed that to happen so that he might be able to show forth his power. The Book of Mormon consistently answers questions of the soul like, where are we from? Why are we here? Where are we going at this life? And one of my favorites, why do bad things happen to good people? Because surely at any time, the Lord could have stepped in and stopped things from happening. But if the Lord were to stop every cruel act performed against the righteous, soon there would be no real agency. And mortal life as a testing ground would have no purpose. Well, that's an excellent point. And the, the Book of Mormon is amazing at answering those
0: exact questions that you're talking about. Oh, man, we're short on time. I knew this would happen on today's show. But I want to touch on something in Chapter 20. You know, Late last year when we started preparing for this podcast, Jordan, you asked me what my favorite verse was in the Book of Mormon. And I, and I asked you the same. And for me, my favorite verse is in Chapter 20, and it's verse 10. For behold, I have refined thee. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. That's my favorite verse for so many reasons and it's a favorite of mine for personal reasons but the biggest reason is that this verse is is really our family motto. Dang it. I knew I was going to do this. <laughs> Not just our immediate family, Jordan, but our extended family. You know, we have amazing stories in our family about triumphs over adversity with the blessings of the Lord, but this is a verse
1: that should be a motto for any family. Love that, love that. Well, wrapping up, Louis, you shared one of your favorite scriptures earlier. Um, I think it's fair that I share one of one of mine, and it's found in the sixteenth verse of the twenty-first chapter here that, that we've been studying. And this verse contains some of the most beautiful atonement symbolism in all of Scripture. Just as a workman's hands bear witness of his work. Think of a construction worker or carpenter with the calluses and blisters on their hands. The same is for the Savior's hands as he bears witness of of his work. In verse 16 we read, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. And, And to me that is the Lord's declaration and his promise that that we're his and that we belong to him. And I hope that that's something we can all keep with us this week and marching forward in our journeys to Christ is just knowing that we belong to him.
0: Uh, thank you, Jordan, for ending that show uh, on that beautiful note. And uh, thanks for trudging through that show. I know you're not feeling hundred percent, but thank you for getting through that show with me. Uh, if you have time this week, please read chapter nineteen. Amazing teachings about the scattering and gathering of Israel. Really uplifting words that never, never cease to leave you stunned at the remarkable nature of of your royal lineage, of our royal lineage. Update on the tear jar: fifteen dollars uh, into the t- into the tear jar this week brings our running total to sixty dollars going to church humanitarian aid. Uh, that's all for this week. Uh, until next week. To umau, Stand firm. For Jordan, I'm Louis. We'll talk to you all in a week. Thanks, guys. Standing Firm, a Come Follow Me podcast, is a production of Sierra House Publishing, LLC. The show, or any opinions expressed therein, are not affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. For a transcript of today's show, please visit our website at standingfirmpodcast.com.